welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode. If you are new here, welcome. I'm happy to have you. This episode, I am super happy to bring you a conversation that I had with Tally Fosh. She runs the Instagram account Therapized, and that is a therapy practice that she runs as well in London. She is a brilliant human being. I got a lot of good information out of her. I'm usually sat on the other side of the hot seat when it comes to speaking to a therapist, so it was nice to be able to ask the questions for once. Now, aptly, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And if you find yourself, come the end of this conversation, thinking about going to therapy and face-to-face isn't available to you, or you would prefer to explore it online, then BetterHelp is a fantastic place to go. They provide therapy service, counselling service to millions of people all over the world. Whether you're in Australia, America, England, they will be able to cater to you. All you have to do is fill out a quick 10-minute questionnaire. You'll be matched with a therapist within 48 hours and that is matched with your needs and the answers to the question that you provide. So be as honest as you possibly can. And here's the good bit. As a need-to-read listener, you get 10% your first month of online therapy you just have to head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you will get your 10% off if you make that decision then I take my hat off to you because it is a big decision and it is certainly a brave thing to reach out for help but without further ado here is my conversation with Tally Fosh Fosh. Fosh. Welcome to A Need to Read. Thank you so much for being the first guest in my home studio. studio. It's very smart. I know people can't see it, but it's very smart. Lovely plush chairs. Thank you very much. Thank (laughs) you very much. Very high tech as well. Yeah, my first uh, proper like load of business expenses of being put on like some paint. (laughs) <laughs> that light bulb apparently turns blue. I haven't <gasps> figured it out just yet, but it it's does. It's like an LED light. Yeah. Eight quid from Amazon. You love a bit of Amazon, to love be fair. Amazon. <laughs> and your, your um, what's it called? A list, not a... a My whiteboard. Your whiteboard with your things to do list. Yes. That's actually quite inspirational. I like a list, but I never end up, I never actually find myself writing them down because I find it stressful to write down the things that I have to do rather than actually doing it and seeing what's there, just which would make it much better. Just winging it. Just <laughs> yeah, winging exactly. It. Um, but right, let's let's get into it. How? Because you are a therapist. What type of therapist? So I'm a psychotherapist. Um, there's obviously different types of psychologist, psychotherapist, and then there's psychiatrist, which is you need a medical degree to be a psychiatrist. And people yeah. sometimes people don't really know that, and they get confused. You know, the psychiatry is the kind of providing medication for people, and that's okay. absolutely not what I do. Okay. Um, but I was trained integrat I can never say this word Intra- integratively, um, yeah. which basically means that I had I was trained with all different um, what's the word I'm looking for Absolutely. theories. Okay, yeah, so yeah, different yeah. theories. I was trained with different theories: um, bit of CBT, psychodynamic, humanistic. So all the different types of approaches. I basically was trained with a little bit of each. Which okay. to then create my own kind of not my own therapy where well yeah I guess it is the way I work what I deem best for the client um, obviously some clients come and it's best to use CBT or some need more of a psychodynamic approach or etc so um, that's why I think 
yeah, that's why I really enjoyed my training because I got a little bit nuggets of each kind yeah. of theory. Yeah. Do you um, think each therapist does like work in their own like different way then? They kind of take everything and be like, right, this is the stuff I believe in the most. Absolutely. Because I, I know that, you know, some of my peers or colleagues that I trained with have then gone and do, a, you know, use a very humanistic approach, which basically means like, so that in my mind, there's kind of two main approaches that are used today so there's the humanistic approach which is basically like the therapist takes a seat seat back you know doesn't ask too many questions just lets the client talk the client knows best basically yeah um and then there's the psychodynamic approach which is like freud and it's it's very much like the client doesn't know best the, the counselor knows best yeah or the therapist knows best and it's very much like going back to revisit your childhood um all the ways and, and belief systems that you learned back then and how that then influences your behavior in, in life today. Yeah. I work more like that, which yeah. means that I'm much more kind of, I always say this to my clients when we first meet, you know, I'm, I'm quite challenging. So, you know, I, I challenge, I ask quite direct questions yeah. and some people don't like that, but some people do like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely what, when I, you know, obviously in my own therapy, it's definitely what worked for me. I needed to be, I basically in you know in a very different way but I needed to be told to kind of get on with it and like you know stop it challenged I need to ch- I needed my thinking to be challenged because yeah, okay. you know I you know got myself into so many different ruts in in my head so I needed that and that's how I now also I my special my was one of my specialities is addiction and okay. addiction therapy is very different in that you have a kind of different relation to the client normally most addiction therapists are addicts themselves or in recovery themselves like myself so it's 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 more of a like you present yourself as I've done it so you can do it too so it's a slightly different and you can challenge and you can be a little bit more upfront rather than taking a seat back and that's what really worked for me so you are you sober then? Is that I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. September will be seven years. That's amazing. I don't know which is madness. Actually, it was twenty two, two thousand fourteen, um, when I just I kind of I thought I've had enough. Well, yeah. that's such a lie. I didn't realize I'd had enough, and then I found myself in treatment, and I you know, and I remember being told, okay, you're going to not drink for fourteen weeks. Um, and I was like, okay, that's fine. And then after 14 weeks, I'll be able to go on the piss again. And I'd plan this like big party. And then three weeks into my treatment, I thought, oh dear, I think this is a little bit more serious than um, <laughs> than I would like to think it is. Yeah. And um, and that was, yeah, the beginning of, of the journey in, in recovery. And, you know, and then I guess what got me here as well as a therapist, because I was working in fashion and PR before. So Wow, that's fascinating. So, and. Um, it was something I was going to ask is because I always feel like people go into something to do with helping people with their mental health mm. in general because something isn't quite right with themselves and mm. not in that way that like, oh, there's something wrong with you. But like there has been a part in your life when you'd be like, holy fuck, I need mm. help. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I therapy has been a massive part of my life since I was like 14 um, when my parents were going through a divorce and... I didn't like it when I was that age. Um, it was it was something that I, I guess, resisted, but it definitely helped. Um, and as I kind of grew older, I had different therapists, and what I would do, I would go, and then I'd have t- time off. You know, I'd sometimes go, and I wouldn't like what the therapist said to me, so I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't go back for months, and then I'd get to a point, another rock bottom, and I'd be like, "Oh God, I need help," and then I'd go back, and kind of this yo-yo, you know. For years yeah. um 
until I got to a point where I was just, I guess the right word is desperate. Like I was just yeah. so unhappy um, with who I was. I, well, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. I mean, if I think about it, I was young, right? 22. Yeah. And, um, but still it was like, you know, I think for anyone who gets to a point where they don't really want to exist anymore, I think that's enough to sort of realize that something's wrong. Yeah, right? for sure. Um and I just remember I'd, you know, behaved badly or, you know, one thing had led to another. And I just remem- remember lying there and just thinking, there's got to be another way. You know, yeah. I, I, I really need help. And so I, I put trust, all of my trust into this therapist that I'd known for years, but as I said, hadn't really seen consistently. Mm. And I said, I will, I, I literally remember going to see him and I said, I will do anything. I was that kind of desperate. They call it actually the gift of desperation, right? When yeah. you get to a point where you're so desperate, you are so willing to change because, you know, so many of us don't like change, right? And we yeah, kind of, we scary. get, yeah, it's scary. We get stuck in that kind of middle ground between want like wanting knowing something's not quite right wanting to change it but they're not really wanting to put the work into it because it's a bit uncomfortable so actually I look back and I think that it I'm really grateful that I was that desperate because it really propelled me towards change essentially yeah Yeah, for sure and how have you found it like since and I'm just going to touch on the whole being sober thing Mm -hmm. because I I don't drink much and I do that because I misbehave when I drink. I mm. do stupid shit. Yeah. Like I, I stopped drinking from Christmas Eve last year because I was in Bali. I got mm. pissed. I got on my bike at 3am with no helmet, got lost, ran out of petrol. My phone was out of battery. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, I am so lucky to even be home. Mm. Like I could have mm. had someone just, like I could have been taken advantage yeah. of yeah, easily yeah, 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 yeah. by l- local like bent coppers and stuff mm. like that. And it happens out there. And I got to a point where I was like, Rob, well, I'm just going to stop drinking. And I've mm. drank once since then, and I had half a beer on Saturday. And there's this, there's almost like this feeling of isolation, I think, that comes with not drinking in your yeah. 20s, oh especially gosh, yeah. in the UK. Like, our culture is so, like, hell-bent on the fact that, like, oh, you got booze to have fun. Mm. Have you found it quite challenging? So, perhaps? 100%. And... Like because it's funny because I'm because I'm fortunate that I'm kind of seven nearly seven years into it. It's very different from the beginning, but I can't forget that beginning part. The first three years at twenty two as well. At twenty two, yeah. I I don't regret it for one for one minute. It was the best thing I've ever done and still is. But my God, because as you say, the culture. I had to change, like all my friends changed, right? Yeah. And it was, the, you used the word isolating. That's absolutely the right word because you feel like there's something wrong with you. You feel, I personally felt like a massive loser. I felt mm. like, you know, I was stuck out like a sore thumb, even though, you know, you'd, I'd still try and, I remember for the first couple of years, I'd still try and go out the way I was going out when I was drinking, which yeah. just didn't work because, you know, I, 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 I was going out with the same people or to the same places that I would be getting completely fucked, excuse my language, in. No, no, you literally <laughs> you do what you want. Okay, you do good. What you want here. Um, <laughs> I would be getting completely fucked up, right, in these places. And then I tried doing it sober and I understood why I was getting fucked up, right? I understood, oh, well, this is really, this is actually miserable. Everyone was getting on it. And you feel like, oh my God, well, you know, I it really highlights for me it highlighted all my insecurities why i drank you know this sort of social anxiety um 
the idea of, oh my God, I don't have anything good to say about myself. And then if you, now I'm very fortunate that, it's not that my my life isn't small at all, but I had to kind of cut it down. Like I had to figure out what was important, where I wanted to go, like how I wanted to go out, if at all. Um, And I, I just wasn't able to go and sit in the, pub all day and then yeah. go you know go on to a club and then another club and then you know I, I do benders like for the weekend yeah. you know and I just I tried to do that when I was sober and it just didn't work oh, <laughs> it just wasn't fun it <laughs> just wasn't fun at all I suppose being a sober person in someone's kitchen at 4am <laughs> yeah, exactly. is probably worse than whatever hell's like. <laughs> it, it, was, it was vile and I can just remember hating every moment but I thought that's what I had to do in order to you know, keep friends or keep being cool, whatever that yeah. meant. And that, you know, now that I, th- but then the hardest bit was I had to take a step back from all of that. I had to take a step back and I had to figure out what I liked, what I didn't like and start doing things that didn't revolve around drinking. Yeah. Um, which was really difficult because I didn't, I'd never done anything like that before. Right. Yeah. So whether that was, you know, exercising yoga for me you know I then started to train as a yoga teacher or um going to galleries I mean I say that I don't know why I said that because I've been to like only like <laughs> three galleries in my life but still Stay you well, know <laughs> exactly I'm not cultured by the way <laughs> um but doing things hanging out with people who's this is another thing is hanging out with people whose life didn't revolve around drinking which is why for me recovery like I, so I, I I went into AA and NA yeah, and I was very fortunate that I met a hell of a lot of young people more and more young people are now going into the rooms and it's amazing because you meet people who just like yourself you know really you know basically don't know how to drink sensibly yeah. um, and and well in my case um, who have got a you know addictive personality don't know when to you know stop but who all who all kind of all have this kind of emptiness inside, which is what was being filled with alcohol and drugs and whatever. And then you kind of form this community, right? You form like this kind of group of friends who are all sober. And you're like, okay, well, what are we going to do with our time? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I started like learn how to surf. I mean, that didn't last very long. But, you know, like all these little things I wouldn't have done had I been drinking. Yeah. Um, you just try loads of different things. You try loads of different things. And I think for me, especially because I, my identity was drinking, um my identity was drinking my identity was partying and then I suddenly you know stopped that and it was like well who am I you know what do I like what do I not like I love that and I so at the moment I'm writing a bad poem a day (laughs) and really like because I'm I'm trying to do this poetry course right because I'm I'm, I'm obsessed with writing and I want to find what I can write I want to potentially write a film one day. I want to write books. I want I want to see what yeah. I'm good at because I just feel that that is what my life should be about is mm. writing and mm. and trying to get a message out. And today, <laughs> my bad poem was about getting a bag. <laughs> getting a bag? Getting a bag. <laughs> okay. So here is my bad poem. This is an exclusive. And at the bottom of it, I've put an arrow to it and said, not good. So I've, I've fulfilled <laughs> my, my goal of getting a bad poem. <laughs> And uh, it goes, it's four in the morning, without warning, you hear, should we get a bag? Fine. But first, lend us a fag. Uh, someone, stands to na- someone starts to nag. It gets too rowdy too quickly. The cigarette tastes sickly. 
but that is all in your head because really you know it's time to go to bed. I think that's amazing. <laughs> what do you mean bad? Oh, there's like one in like six of my poems will be like, all right. I've actually <laughs> wrote another one that I won't read out, but it's on uh, post-nut clarity. Have you ever heard of that? No. Um, basically because men are genetically wired to when they have finished to yeah. to kind of leave. Yeah. And and like Joe Rogan coined the term post-nut clarity. Oh, how funny. And me and my, my flatmate and me and my girlfriend have been talking about it a lot over the last couple of days. I was like, oh, I'll, just, I'll, I'll write a poem about that. Oh, you that, that's, that's, that's quite funny. <laughs> I'll read it to you afterwards. Okay, please I'm do. not ready to put that out. But was it actually four in the morning when you wrote that poem? No, that was this morning. No, the, ba- the one about the bag. Oh, no, that was, that was this morning I wrote that oh. poem. Oh. So, imp- it's like good rhyming, though, Ed. Yeah, that's, that's the rhyming. See, like, that's what people were told when they're, like, six years old, and then, and then it... Yeah. Um, Difficult. But in the poetry course, he says that poems are fiction. You can lie, mm. and you have to just set where you are. And I feel like there's loads of people who secretly know what it's like to be four in the morning, and then one of them mates like, <laughs> should we get a bag? And they know in their head that it's totally the wrong decision, but they <laughs> do it anyway. Yeah. Well, that was that was that was, I guess that was that was me. Yeah. <laughs> One too many times. Yeah. And not being able to say no, right? It's fucking difficult. Yeah. But how good is your life when you start to say no to things and to, and to be like firm with the no, to be like, hey, I'm not going out tonight. And they're like, why? It's like, well, I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just not doing it. Funny enough, the people who that I found the people who then really struggled when I stopped drinking were the people that also I was enabling so like there were a lot of people who also know that they have perhaps a problem or don't know how to do it healthily don't know how to drink healthily yeah um and so when I stopped drinking it was like you know it's like a mirror to them they're like oh shit maybe I you know why is she stopping she's the one that you know she was worse than I was so if she stops maybe that means you know maybe I need to look at my behavior and so that was that's what happened so much um and now, you know, I look at my life and it's the people that are in it are people who don't have, you know, problems, problems. with, yeah. you know, they're just so normal. Like <laughs> my partner, like I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but, you know, I, I find it fascinating how he can go to the fridge, get a beer in the fridge, pour it in a glass, not pour the whole beer in the glass. And there'd be like a quarter of the beer left and he doesn't finish it. He'll go yeah. and take the bottle back and pour it down the sink or whatever it is. And I just don't understand that kind of behavior because for me, it's always been, I'm all or nothing, right? Yeah. If I do it, I'm going to do the whole hog. You know, I never really drank wine because it complimented my fish, right? I never, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I never didn't drank. Drink for pleasure. I didn't drink for pleasure. I never liked, I didn't think I, uh, I say, did I like the taste? Probably not that much. Like yeah. I just, you know, I drank shit wine anyway because whatever got me pissed. bother with any like... No alcohol well, drinks. Or so funny you asking that question. I didn't. For years I was like, nah, don't want any of it. And then I just stuck to Diet Cokes and I was literally the person that always got the Diet Coke. And I was very fine with that until recently where I was like, I got given a bottle of um, non-alcoholic Prosecco or champagne or whatever it was. Yeah. And um, we were at home and we had friends around and I was just like, well, do you know what? I might as well just try it. And actually, I really enjoyed it because I had it in a kind of wine glass and, and it was it was just different to having the Diet Coke and I felt grown up and I felt like I was, you know, because of course you feel you don't, sometimes not drinking makes you feel not a part of, right? Yeah. yeah. So it was nice to feel a part of again, not that that was like, you know, is that important. Um, I mean, it was back then, obviously, but now, and actually I really like um, the Heineken Zero Beer. Yeah. 
that's another one of my favourites, um, which I drank a lot during the football. Um, you lad. Yeah, and I'm such a lad. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I, 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 I didn't used to like them because I thought that it, I, I was worried that I'd be triggered. Yeah, um, yeah. And like you know, think, oh god, I really want to. But I'm one day at a time. I'm very grateful that I don't, I don't crave alcohol. I don't want alcohol anymore. Having said that, I was speaking to a friend of mine who, who is early in recovery. She's been in recovery for eighteen months, I think. And she sent me a message saying, you know, I'm actually really struggling because the football's on and I feel like there's like this atmosphere going on where it's like everyone wants to get on it. And it's like there's like this energy. And I and I instantly understood what she meant Yeah, because, you know, it's like this sort of everyone's a bit fired up and everyone was ready to get really fucked up. And yeah. and I totally get that. And I and I said to her, you know, I totally understand it's not out of you know, it's it's not weird that you're feeling that because even I feel that still. But luckily for me, the the want to drink goes very quickly. So I can go to a, like I did when it was, I can't remember what it was, like the quarterfinals or something, and going to this packed pub and everyone's getting on it. And for like the first five minutes thinking, ooh, like I, I kind of want to get involved. Like there's this yeah. like kind of, you know, wildness. I don't know. I don't know if that's the wrong word, but like it just felt like, and then, five minutes later it was gone and then an hour in and I was like oh thank god you know yeah um and I just think for me what I said to her was like it always passes like it's like that kind of craving I mean how do you find it now that you know if you go out to the pub or whatever and you want don't. to drink you just don't I like yeah. I, I got I didn't get involved in the football at all mm. and I, I wasn't I just wasn't willing to participate because I I know that like <sighs> there's a strong chance that I won't be able to say no. So at at the point where like I'm not going to test my willpower. Yeah. I don't I don't want to like I don't trust myself enough. I don't feel that I'm strong enough to be in a pub full of people because the thing is yeah. I'd fucking hate being there anyway and that's yeah. why I would drink. Well that's exactly it. When when that's exactly it we you know there are so many times that we put ourselves in positions and places that we think we need to be but we really don't want to be there. Yeah. And it's mad. actually quite liberating to be like, I don't have to go. Yeah. I think it's great. The fact that like the, I think it was the final that was on. It was like a Sunday. Mm. My flatmate Giles, he'd like gone to someone's house and, and they were all getting pissed. And I stayed at home and I got stoned and I had a bath mm. and I didn't even know who won or who lost until I saw all of the twats on the internet in the morning. Mm. I was like, great. Mm. But like for, for me, like I, I smoke weed mm. and sometimes I, I toy with the idea that maybe it's a problem and like I I have obvious concerns because of the way that it's portrayed yeah but then I'm like if I was the government and I hadn't smoked weed or hadn't drank alcohol and I did a test day on each I would definitely make weed the legal one and alcohol the illegal one. Oh yeah um, yeah 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 whether or not it's actually good and serves me I don't know mm. I think it does because I have a very fast brain and, as, and it and slows I've, everything down. And I meditate so much and I journal and I do all of these different things to slow my head down. Mm. But I've just got one of those unnaturally... Fast heads. Fast heads. Mm. One of my therapists has called me a high-functioning individual before, which I will probably put on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely... I don't I want that. High-functioning yeah. individual. Funny enough, um, and I was explaining this to a client the other day, the... Um, just because I'm talking about sort of addiction and, and the way yeah. what actually makes an addict an addict. And I'm, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying you are. It's no, just no, no. reminded me of, yeah. of, of the kind of 
of what made me realize I was on average we have a bit between I think it's 20 to 80,000 thoughts a day right mm. or 40 to 80,000 thoughts and um, that's just on average and, and, and an addict has the same four thoughts between 40 and 80,000 a, a, a times a day so basically it's it's the it's the obsession the obsessive nature of the mind and that's what makes someone yeah you know prone to picking up drinking taking drugs because it, it does it kind yeah. of just slows everything down and that's not doesn't actually by the way it just have doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs it can be shopping can be sex Reading addiction books, it can be yeah. <laughs> well I'd say that was healthy actually yeah. um but you know exercise addiction um eating disorders is under that bracket because basically all of these different things are ways to control mm. control the mind um yeah. which actually leads me on to to um I didn't plan this, by the way, but okay. talking about um, the one of the books that I was thinking of um, on my way here, which is called The Untethered Soul. I'm not sure. I'm sure you've sure you read it. You yeah, read I it? read it a long time ago. I can't remember the specifics of it, but I've, I've spoken to a, a few people. Do you know um, Amelia Thompson, PhD? on Instagram she oh, uh, gosh, she does a lot to do with people like recovering from eating disorders okay. and stuff like that and, and she said the untethered soul was great oh god it, it it basically for me in a nutshell just identified how our minds work like having a roommate that lives in our head and yeah. The fact that it's it bears no resemblance to reality and it just incessantly chats, 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 chats. Yeah. And the meaning that we give to that chat. And if we're able to take a step back and just view it as chat, then it means nothing, right? Yeah. Um, and it, I, find, I find it very... I, I have to keep reading it. You know, I go back to it all the time if I'm struggling kind of with yeah. the kind of loudness of the, the, the washing machine type head that yeah, I have, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Where it's just non-stop... Um, and I guess that's sort of the crux of, you know, I feel like that's when you will have completed, not completed life, but like, you know, yeah, actually completed life when you're able to, to manage that. And I guess that's what meditation is about. That's what yoga has given me absolutely like massively being able to just focus on that one thing, um, and go into a state of flow, I guess, where you're not obsessively thinking all the time, um, because it's exhausting. And it's what yeah. leads us to destructive behaviours, essentially. Yeah, for sure. And one one of my favourite books talks about that chatter. It's The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris up there. Well, and that's based that. on um, ACT therapy. So the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And that was the first mm-hmm. therapy that I ever went to. And um, he, t- he calls it like radio doom and gloom. Okay. It's like you can drive along and you can listen to the radio all day and you'd never be able to tell me what was actually on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a nice like analogy yeah. because... Your my brain can go all day, and someone's like, "What have you been thinking about?" And I'm like, oh, "I honestly can tell you, but it wasn't fun." <laughs> yeah, that's the thing; it's absolutely not fun. And I and I think like the 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 whole reason behind the sort of incessant chatter is our need for control, right? That's yeah. why we do it. We do it because it makes our world feel more in control. Because we actually, if we look at it, the reality is we are not in control of what happens at all, like yeah. in the outside world. And the, he gave, he gives this really good example of like if you walk outside and it's freezing cold, it's snowing. I mean, in this instance, let's say it's really hot. Yeah, it's okay, it's boiling hot, and you you go oh you you go oh it's really cold. But like you know yeah we know it's really cold. So what th- there's no need for that extra chatter. But what actually it does is then we're able to go. But it's okay because we're going to be getting home soon. So yeah. instantly we feel like we're in control of that kind of sensation. 
yeah, so it's 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 we do it as because we like to feel in control and it makes us feel safe and also we do it because it's habit yeah. right um and i think that i i do a lot of work with that because it helped me so much in terms of like the habitual things that we tell ourselves like even kind of unconsciously the the messages or the beliefs that we've adopted from childhood or that we've picked up along the way on our journey yeah um that that automatically kind of happen over and over again um you know if you tell yourself over and over again you're shit or or you're not good enough you're going to believe that but the same goes for if you know if you were to wake up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror and I know this sounds a bit cringe and go you know I'm deserving of love and I'm deserving of being happy yeah then that will eventually become your reality so that for me has been like a really powerful tool because you know we get so used to habits and and also like feelings like the the feelings that come from the thoughts right the yeah. habitual you know the anxiety that comes from the thought right and our body gets mm. used to feeling that adrenaline and so you'll find i mean as a sufferer of anxiety myself like if i haven't been anxious for a while i will find myself going oh my god why haven't i been anxious yeah, yeah, yeah. why haven't i been anxious for a while like what is there sister. to be anxious <laughs> about and then i'll have that adrenaline rush and yeah. that's that's exactly and it feels like home exactly yeah I get you. It's I control. You. It's interesting on belief. So I've um I've been reading How to Do the Work by oh, yeah. um Doctor Nicole Lepepro Lepera Lepera yeah. whatever her name is, and there's an interesting study um that she references in there about belief, and it was done like I I did have it written up on my lovely whiteboard the other day, but it's now been wiped <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> it was a, a Harvard professor in like 1979 took two like groups of old people. And took them to this old, like old people's home. They decorated one of the like sections where one of the control groups was, as if it was twenty years earlier, and asked the participants for a week just to pretend and live as if it was the nineteen fifties again. And and wow. then the other group were just told, like it wasn't decorated. There wasn't like old pictures of them when they were that young around. There wasn't newspapers, TV from that time. They were just told like, oh, just do what you would have done back then. And the group that were like fully immersed in the late 50s and had like pictures of themselves around newspaper like clippings and articles from around that time, TV shows from around that time were being played, radio shows. They had like dramatic improvements on like blood pressure, stress levels. Their like mobility was improved. And it is just all from the power of belief. Yeah. And that yeah. was and that was a study done in like nineteen seventy nine. So I'm sure they could make a better study yeah. now. But like, <laughs> some one. of those studies are timeless. <laughs> yeah. Like the power of belief is ridiculous, but it's just being able to like actually change your belief. Yeah. And that takes work. And actually, fun enough, the work that um I recently did a um a course a, a master practitioner in eating disorders and we were talking about beliefs and um what's the word I'm not looks looking for? Begins with S. Uh, come back to me. I can't remember now. Schema. And basically how it's not necessarily about changing the belief. We can't necessarily change a belief, but we can create new ones. And that that's what I found so interesting because what starts pre-belief, like if we think back to being an infant, right? You're a baby and you are crying in your cot because you're hungry or whatever. And your caregiver or parent turns their back on you because they're 
you know, they're like, oh, shut up, you know, you're crying and they're busy getting on with their life or whatever and they've fed you and they've done all this. We internalise that. That's called a schema, right? We internalise that even from such a young age and we make it mean something about ourselves. Like as as children, as babies, we, as far as we're concerned, we're the centre of the universe, right? Because that, we need that in order to survive. Yeah. And if our needs aren't met at that, at that time, we internalise that, we think it's, because we're wrong, not good enough, not deserving of love, all these different things, right? What sort of age does that? Well, the, the, the schema is pre-verbal. So that's like before we can even talk. Those right. are kind of developed really, really very young. But the, the, between naught and seven, we're like a sponge. Yeah. We basically absorb everything that's going on around us. Seven to 12 is a very kind of... We're basically developing a sense of self. We're learning who we are, what we like, what we don't like, learning how to interact with other humans, our friends or whatever at school. That is one of the, I think, the most important time in terms of when our needs aren't met at that time. That's when we we make it mean something about ourselves. Um, And that's, again, when we also develop beliefs, right? And these beliefs, you know, I'm, I'm saying quite generic ones, you know, like I'm not good enough. Uh, but I guess those are the kind of the core, the core ones, yeah. right? That we all they come in many different. Yeah, places, they, those exactly, beliefs, don't they? exactly. Yeah. And we all have them on some level because it's impossible for our parents to meet every single one of our needs, yeah. right? Like even if you're the best parent in the world, whatever that even means, right? It's it's impossible because you know we're all we're all so different, um, and parents are human beings too, and they're going to get it wrong, but. We, I don't think we really truly understand the, the impact that if beliefs at that age are not spotted or not necessarily addressed, you know, from, from a young age, which is why I believe, you know, therapy is so important. I mean, I guess I would say that, but yeah. because, you so know, <laughs> yeah, you know, imagine like as a young teenager, like what are the beliefs that you have about yourself? I'm not good enough. Okay, well, how is that going to then impact your behavior as you grow older, you know, low self-esteem, low self-worth, it's going to depend, you know, then it's, it's about who, you know, your beliefs are going to impact who you spend time with, who you choose to be in relationships with, what jobs you choose to do, you know, all these things. And that's why they're, our self-beliefs are so important. Yeah. And, and it's, as I said, you know, it's not necessarily about um, changing them because we, <laughs> we can't go back and change time but also because they're so like habitual that kind of thought process and pattern is is yeah. sort of very deep right but it's about okay how can we change you know how can we look at that belief and challenge it one yeah. and how can we create new beliefs like how can we as i said you know get up in the morning and say i'm deserving of love or i'm deserving of being happy or whatever yeah um so there's so and I, I I don't necessarily think it's talked about enough like you know that's so much of the work that I do with my clients as well and, and in my own therapy is looking at what do I believe and what is reality yeah right? it's like looking for evidence isn't it like totally when, whenever you have these beliefs it's like um, there's a book Loving What Is by Byron I'm just looking up there to see where it is Loving What Is oh, by yeah. Byron Katie and she's essentially like the first time when you have a thought it's like is it true and then like Sometimes you'll be like, yeah, it is a true thought. I, I am a piece of shit. Mm. And you'll be like, okay, how can you absolutely know that it's true? And it's like, okay, well, like this is where I'm going to have to try and find evidence. And you might be able to find evidence. And you're like, right, who would you be without this thought? Mm. Absolutely. And then it's like, one. can you like find any reasonable mm. like viewpoint that would mean that you should hold on to this thought? And most mm. of the time, you can't. You can't. 
it's like the phrase would it hold up in court or would it stand up in court you know and I remember being told that and I was like oh god that's such a good point like so much of what I think or have thought about myself there's no resemblance to reality whatsoever but you're quite you said something really like poignant there like would you know who am I without these thoughts right Mm. and if we grow up with these belief systems or these thoughts about ourselves if they're to suddenly go away it's like people you know who suffer with anxiety like the anxiety becomes part of you you know who am I when I let go of the anxiety yeah right you feel kind of I guess out of control um so yeah I mean I've I've lost my train of thought now but basically um that book sounds really loving what is Loving ways. It's very intense and it goes into like loads of different examples and there are some examples in there where she talks about people who have been abused and the fact that you have to essentially do enough work to get to the point where you're thankful for your abuser and you blame yourself for it. And it's oh, really, wow. it's it's odd and I've maybe butchered that a bit, but <laughs> I remember reading that part yeah. and I was like, I don't know if I'd like, agree yeah. with that. I was like, I think if you can take this blanket, like four questions that you ask yourself yeah. after you have a negative thought, that's great. Some of the stuff, it's just a bit weird. And I think essentially people do blame themselves 100%. for whatever happens to them. Mm. And maybe actually she's trying to turn it around so that she's not blaming themselves, but they do just take control of it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I guess. And like the whole like, this is how it is. Mm. And I suppose I better get on with it. I can't change what's yeah. happened in the past. Yeah, well, acceptance, I guess that's yeah, well, that's hard. one of the hardest things, yeah. <laughs> Especially when we, you know, taking it away from kind of abuse, but if we, like, situations that we don't like, mm. right, having to accept that, that or accepting, you know, other people for the way they are, like, it's one of the hardest things because, yeah. as I said, you know, we're talking about control, like, we like to know how things are going to play out, how yeah. things are going to look, how people are going to react to us, you know. Yeah. God, isn't it weird? It's just um, just going back to that belief thing again. Because I want to mention one book, and it's mm. called "Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It," and that is a book that I read, and I was like, "Holy shit! I do not love myself." Mm. And one of the exercises in there was you have to go to a mirror in the morning, but like, "I love and accept you for you," and you have to say it to yourself and like look yourself in the eyes. And I think there's something about looking yourself in the yeah. eyes that is really, really weird, intense, yeah, <laughs> really and odd. Because yeah. we don't often get to do that, and yeah. like. Well, they say the eyes are the seat of the soul or something. Like yeah. some, some hippie said that, mm. and I'll probably believe them. <laughs> Same. I quite like that. Song. Yeah. Poetic, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely poets. Poems. Love poems. Um, yeah, and I just, I found it so difficult. But my, like I've recognised the beliefs that I have about myself since doing that work on self-love have, it's become a lot of a, like a, an easier way to live because anything that has been that negative is just not that bad anymore mm. and i recognize it and i and i accept some of these thoughts that come in like i think as soon as you can kind of be like i mean i am a bit of a piece of shit but like i work on it so yeah, yeah. i suppose that makes it okay absolutely <laughs> and i think the the i remember when i um was in treatment and um, one of the therapists and and i also had i suffered from an eating disorder as well i mean it was mm. <laughs> one thing after another but um with, with eating disorder therapy, um, it's it's like as I said, it's like kind of under the um, umbrella of addiction. Yeah. And um, the 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 thoughts that you get, obviously, with eating disorders, are very intrusive. Um, you know, in terms of like 
that they can bear no resemblance to reality obviously at all like you're really fat and you can be you know completely underweight yeah um you know and um you know i i personally experienced thoughts that now looking back on you, you was so I mean it's slightly different because I I was I was anorexic so I'd under eaten and then your brain actually chemically like starts to you come become a bit crazy um but she was the therapist I remember she she had previously she had also suffered from an eating disorder and she said I knew that I was recovered or really in recovery when I was able to have a thought and I was able to laugh at it and I was able to see it and I was able to go ha I see you I know you, I, I've been there before, but you are completely bonkers. And it yeah. made it like, it just made me feel so much like, oh, you know, like I now can have these thoughts that are so, you know, very, I'm very lucky that very rarely do I ever get any eating disorder thoughts. But when I do, I, I always remember what she said and I just am able to think, oh my God, it's just a thought. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. Right. Um, Thank you for being so honest about oh, no, all this pleasure. stuff. I think it's it's so admirable because I think like people say that kind of stuff to me all the time. Like, oh, thank you so much for talking about it. I'm like, oh, it's nothing. But like, it is actually a lot. And sometimes it does like take its toll when you speak openly and honest and, and with such vulnerability about things that have formed you as a person because we're in this culture that we live in now. Like, mm. people are just aren't honest about it. Like, if, if someone feels anxious about something, they'd rather not tell Hell, someone. Yeah. So well, no, well, I that, I mean, it, it, as that's as you were just saying, when someone says that to you, and you go, yeah, "Oh, well, shut it's not shut up." Yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel. But also, I think it's such a big part of what helped me, mm. right? Being able to be honest that, and I guess as well, like owning parts of me that made me me even yeah. though and for so long ed i can't even tell you like i lied about why i wasn't drinking like i told people that i had a liver problem or i yeah. said i was on medication or i would never talk about the fact i had an eating disorder because i was so ashamed of it yeah. and then it just got to a point where i was like but it's what happened it, it doesn't have to have an impact on who i am today but yeah. it is my journey it is my story and the more i kind of suppress that and the more i kind of lie about it or hide it the less i'm accepting of myself yeah and also you know i kind of have to practice what i preach like you know sometimes i'm sitting there talking to clients and i'm like shit tally you really you really need, you need to I, practice what you preach i feel like this also because like i i've recently made a decision to go back to therapy i lasted like three weeks out of it <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I was thinking for days and I'd, I'd written multiple times down in my journal I was like right well maybe it's a good time to go to therapy not as like a need but like kind of a nice to have yeah. and then I was like I'm telling all these people to go to therapy and I was just avoiding yeah. booking it and my girlfriend was like oh just message your therapist and I was like yeah I'll do it tomorrow and I was like <laughs> I literally just lied to her and to myself I was like yeah fine I'm actually going to text her now because <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's just so easy to tell other people what to do. A hundred percent. I know. Especially when you know what's like, right. Yeah. Because you've lived it, you've gone through all this stuff and then you know that it's the right thing to do. And you're like, okay, Oh well, my God, totally. I'll just tell other people to do it. And that's, that's, that's my way of doing it. And then my mum, my mum gets really cross with me sometimes <laughs> because she goes, you know, I don't understand, you know, why, why, you know, why you, um, how can you think like that when you tell, you spend your whole life telling other people, you know, how to, how to um, be kind to themselves and loving mm. to, to themselves. And you're si- sitting here slagging yourself off. And I'm like, oh yeah, good point. Like, but it's so, it's, it's automatic. And it's just sometimes it's really comfortable and easy to just be like oh I can't be arsed like 
you know, I'm just going to indulge in my own shit. But it's also, it's good to have a human therapist. Like, the the moment that my therapist told me that she sometimes felt like walking out in front of a train. Like, just a, one of those intrusive thoughts mm. that you have. Like, I have it all the time. If I'm driving, I'm like, whoops, gone. Yeah. And yeah. I said it in a podcast once, and so many people messaged me, mm. like, saying, oh, my God, I think like that sometimes. Like, I don't actually want to do it, but I think it. And I was like... Yeah. And my therapist once told me, and I was like, so, you... You're like, yeah. you're a little crazy too. I get it. We all are. We I all understand. are. And that's what I find so liberating. Like, yeah. actually, the fact that... And I think this is another massive thing for me is that as soon as I am in touch with or speak openly about the fact that I'm a little bit mad and, like, I'm a mm. bit crazy and I'm a bit, you know, sometimes I can be overdramatic and, you know, say or do the wrong thing or be completely anxious. Like, it gives other people the permission to be like, oh, me too, yeah. you know? And and then, I mean, that's, you know, how great would it all be if we were just able to own our shit? doesn't mean that we're going to oh. make it perfect. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're going to, like, suddenly change and become, you know, the better. Because it's what actually is what makes us, like, special, right? 100%. The crazier we are. I mean, I personally think that anyway. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 uh, I find it really lovable. You definitely right? want everyone to like bring it out, so then they're <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh, maybe I do need therapy." Yeah, this exactly. It. This is, this is a, like it's all a plan <laughs> to get everyone to be like, "I get oh, it." Yeah. I get it. What is it? Therapies. <laughs> Therapies. Yeah. yeah, it's actually toledofosh.com Actually, okay, Therapies okay. is the Instagram. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, and I always say like with vulnerability, it's fucking contagious. Like, the more I share with people that I love, the more likely they are to share, and and, and it takes fucking time. And I am overly vulnerable potentially with a lot of people. And then I get it out of them. And I'm like, I know that that was a big fucking weight. And you've just got it off your chest. And how good do you feel? And I celebrate it when people tell me stuff. Because I just know how good it feels to finally get it off your fucking chest. And not be alone with it as well. Like, you know, this and this is, this for me, I guess it's also about communication, right? And that for me is like the crux of any relationship, whether it's romantic or not, or a friendship, like learning how to, I I guess we need to have a sense of knowing who we are before we can then go and do that with someone else. But the moment that you do, or the moment, you know, even I find it like when I'm like, oh, I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell my boyfriend that I'm anxious because I, uh, you know, like I I don't want him, I don't want him to see me as an anxious person. And then it's like, but what? Like, what's the point? Like, mm. you know, and then as soon as you do, it's like, oh, okay. And they don't think any differently of you. And if right. anything, they love you more because they're able to see, you know, they, that that's what being vulnerable is. And that actually is what being intimate is. Yeah. Really, truly intimate, which is, you know, really hard thing to do. We're not taught how to be intimate. We're not taught how to kind of like be vulnerable. Like at yeah. school, there's not like a vulnerability lesson. I mean, how great would that be? That would be insane. <laughs> yeah. Just for like people to just be honest about it. I actually did a podcast on Monday with a guy and that podcast would be out last Thursday. So guys, if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it because <laughs> um, it was a good one. And this guy is from America and he's a love and an intimacy coach. And I always think these coaches are full of shit, but like I've watched <laughs> him on Instagram for a while and I just love what he does because he just teaches intimacy as a skill. Yeah. And I do think the world is missing that. How does he do what is when he makes it practical basically? Just in terms of like how to start the conversation. Yeah. So it's like conversation hacks and stuff. And like and like if just going into a conversation by saying, Hey, I find this really, really yeah. difficult to say. I don't really know what I want to come from this conversation, but this is how I feel. 
when you do X, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And it's like loads of things, like non-violent communication. Yeah, God, yeah. Me and Giles, who I live with, like, uh, I'd say that we're both quite emotionally mature. And if there's ever something that we need to communicate with each other, like, it's it's completely, like, non-violent communication. I'm like, mate, I think this is one of the best friendships <laughs> I've ever had. Because you can tell me how you feel, and I can tell you who I feel. And neither of us are angry or upset. It doesn't have to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's such a wonderful, like, whoever invented it, I don't think they do invent <laughs> yeah. some form of communication. They did a great job. But I think, actually, you just hit the nail on the head as well. It's, it's about when it when we're able to own it. So when it comes from a place of I, like people like to tell you that you can't or can feel a certain way, right? Mm. When they're feeling uncomfortable. But if you say, you know, when you did this, it makes me feel like this, or I feel like this, no one can tell you, no, you don't, yeah. right? No one can say, well, you shouldn't feel like that. It's like, well, I do. So there's yeah. nothing you do. And I think it's it's all about, I guess, owning owning it and being able to take you know take responsibility i think that's a big a big word that a lot of us avoid I can avoid i was about to say personally i can only speak for myself but you know for years i avoided responsibility because yeah. it's you know, being an adult fuck you know it's like yeah. it's hard work right yeah. and having to be open and vulnerable and honest all the time and sometimes we want to revert back to being a child and stamping our foot and getting our way right because yeah. that's oh my god wouldn't that just be like being an adult does suck sometimes and <laughs> all of these books i read like the main thing that comes out is like discipline mm. and like taking responsibility mm. for your own life and it sucks. And I've like said about it before. Like, I'm like, no one is more annoyed about this than me. That you <laughs> yeah. have to be disciplined and do stuff every day. But it just kind of is how it is. Yeah. I also like the the when I was in um, treatment and they were talking about um, taking responsibility for actually the the and I don't when I say the word power, you know, taking responsibility for the power that we actually have. Like if we're if we were a if we were to truly realize the the sort of effect or the the influence that we can have to help other people yeah. then you know you know we, we wouldn't be able to sit in that place of oh my god I'm I'm a piece of shit or oh my god I'm useless and I think that's you know another thing that I've really really that I found difficult with the moment that I had to take responsibility for the fact that I am a human like I am an adult and actually I can help people or I, you know, I can be a, a good influence or I can help, I can influence other people to stop drinking or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Then, you know, I have to take, I have to crawl out of my kind of self-indulgent shell and, you know, stop being a baby, right? Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable because I want to sometimes crawl into a hole and take no responsibility yeah. and be a child. And sometimes I do, you know, when I sit there and I'm like a petulant child and I stamp my foot. But you know, then one of my, you know, someone close to me says, oh, why are you being like a child? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, I have to sort of change that response, change that um, behavior. Yeah. Um, but taking responsibility sucks sometimes. Oh, I, yeah, I concur. <laughs> I concur. Um, it's, it's one of those things that people don't want to take responsibility. Mm. That gets in the way. They then have like a mental health decline. Mm. And one thing I wanted to like get into today was like, what, what do you think is like, the contributor to this like because everyone's fucked at the moment mm. and and even pre-pandemic i don't think the mental health like mm. state of of the uk slash the world was in a good, good place, place anyway yeah like you speak to people all the time yeah i mean obviously i think essentially when we went into the lockdown i think it made things 
a lot worse because we were suddenly being still. Yeah. There were the the level of distraction went from, you know, 100 to 0, yeah. right, in a really short space of time. We don't know how to be with ourselves. Yeah. Right? We don't know how to sit with ourselves in a very kind, compassionate way right. and to accept our feelings like that is something that we spend well I can personally tell you that when I was out drinking and doing god knows what and in my eating disorder I did all of that to avoid feeling right so when we suddenly were in this space of right well we're all locked down all of the things that you've perhaps been running from in your life are now sat right next to you on the sofa you have no choice but to to feel them. So essentially, yeah. like, I think everyone started to feel, right? And they started to feel things that they didn't want to feel. And there was no way of distracting it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure people did. You know, I know people's, like, this is what, this is, I guess, why. You know, a lot of people started drinking more, yeah. right? And and behaving in ways oh, that there was, was like self-sabotage. Neck and nominate challenge on, like, Instagram. Yeah. People getting pissed on their own. I think that is such a dangerous yeah. thing to do because oh, it's God. literally a depressant yeah. in the category <laughs> yeah. of drugs. So that's absolutely. you doing it on your own. Absolutely. So there there was, you know, this decline in, in mental health. And I, as I think before, you know, I think just in general as a society, we, I think we're getting better, but we've got a long way to go in terms of, I think, accepting feelings, you know, knowing what they are, accepting them, allowing them to be there. Yeah. I think we try and control our how we feel so much because we do not like feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and it, it unfortunately, is as simple as that, right? We do not like feeling uncomfortable. We do not like feeling sad. We do not like feeling depressed. You know, we do not like having no energy. Yeah. So, so we, if we have means to try and distract that, right, by, you know, going out or exercising loads or whatever it is, then we will choose that over sitting with our feelings yeah, 100%. But the thing, I think the fear that people have is that if they are to engage or to feel that feeling even a little bit, it means that it's never going to end. Like people fe- have this fear of like, well, if I start crying, then I'm never going to stop. Yeah. And actually it doesn't happen like that. It's like a sort of dripping tap, but we need to kind of turn the tap in order for us things to like start flowing because yeah. the more we suppress things and the more we push things to the side or the more we try and pretend that things don't exist, the more they'll come out sideways, whether that's destructive behavior, whether that's in intrusive thoughts, whether that's just general feeling like having no energy or feeling really low, like it's energy, right? Yeah. It's and and so I think, you know, definitely with the pandemic and still now, you know, people are still suffering because they're like, what, what the hell? Like yeah. all this, ch- another thing is change, right? We, and as we were saying yeah, earlier, like we do not like it. We like to know when, how, why, what, um, and to be in absolute control. And we were suddenly just like, you know, we were told we had no idea. We still don't really know how, have much, yeah. I have any idea of when it's going to, you know, stop. So I think a lot of people were faced with things and, and, I mean, we can, depends how you look at it, like, you know, it, in a way, it, it can be seen as a blessing that, you know, if you weren't happy with your life, now's an opportunity to make a change, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people were in toxic relationships, or were able to reflect on things that they wanted to do differently with their life. That that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been given this space to kind of sit and, and work out what it is that we really want. So, yeah, I think, and I think a lot of people then, which is great, 
reached out and, and got help and, and started speaking to someone. Um, because I think in general, even if you're not struggling, it's just a way to kind of organize your thoughts and to have yeah. that space to kind of be yourself, be vulnerable, be open and feel, feel your feelings, which yeah. as I said, we don't like to do. Yeah. Don't like to. So basically, everyone needs to go to therapy and like journal <laughs> and entertain, do yoga and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's really like a lot of people don't want to do it because it is. I mean, personally, like I find it. You know, the amount of times that I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to therapy. Yeah, I'm a therapist, right? But I, it's you know, I get that. Oh, I really can't be asked. You know, yeah. I still get it. Or the amount of times I'm like, you know, I think another thing that we that perhaps sort of was a real struggle is that everyone lost their routine. Yeah. Like routine for me anyway is so important. It gives structure to our lives. And suddenly we were on like house arrest and you had to just like sit and be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why like c- being able to create your own routine, even when you're in a lockdown is something that, well, I've personally like had to, you know, I had to restructure everything. Like I was sort of such a busybody, and then I had to like sit and just yeah. be, and I really hated it. I still hate it. You know, yeah. my, my partner, Paul, I got COVID, you know, and, and he had to literally a few weeks ago and this is where everything was still open and I was isolating with him and I freaked out. I was like, what? But I can't, then I can't do, you know, I can't go to my exercise class or I yeah. can't go and see so-and-so for lunch. And it's like, actually, but then as soon as I gave myself permission to just be and sit and just take a break. Yeah. Everything was like fine and, you know, creating a different routine. It's so hard to just like allow yourself to to be. Mm. And I think a lot of people like I think I'm quite lucky that my distractions are quite healthy ones. Like like reading. Like reading. Yeah, it's like very writing, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> like like <laughs> yoga, meditation, yeah. like you see, it's like it's scheduled up there. It's like meditate, read, poetry course, write a shit poem, poem write, write book. book, write an article, I'll do later, yoga, then go for a walk, do the podcast. But I don't have a chance to just be there. Mm. And I and I talk about that so much, but I don't find myself actually stopping from like 5 a.m. until like 7. Mm. But I kind of, in like I, I, I enjoy it because it's my thing. And I think it's quite unique when it's your own thing. Like... I'm sure, like your therapy yeah. business, like you like working on yeah, it because yeah, yeah. because it's yours. Yeah. It's like it, it, it's it is a sort of self care, I guess, in yeah. a way. But yeah. there is, of course, a balance, right? To to make space for that time when you do just sit and like, if I have a client who cancels, I'm then like, oh my god, well, what am I going to do for yeah. that 50 minutes? Like, what that 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 I hadn't thought of that. Like, I hadn't planned for that. And then it's like, chill. Yeah, like, great. Take some time. Like, read a book, have a bath. Yeah, sit on the sofa, watch television like and I can't I can't watch TV anymore I just I just can't do it I, I feel incredible amounts of guilt if I watch TV and I would yeah. never watch TV in the day anyway but that's like that's how weed helps me because mm. I can smoke and then I'll sit and I'll watch like a few episodes of the US <laughs> office or I'll watch South Park or something it's just really dumb shit and I'm like okay that's nice and actually and I and purely from a from a therapist point <laughs> yeah. of view if if this is that's where the challenge is i guess like mm. imagine if you were to sit and watch television without smoking weed like to yeah. sit with all those feelings like those feelings of guilt that discomfort yeah. that kind of like oh this feels really horrible but to do it anyway and then every single time it's it's like training right yeah. every single time you then do it because i remember when i when i got clean sitting and watching television was like painful yeah. it was like oh i can't do this like and now it's like 
you know, to be able to, like, when we were isolating, to be able to put the television on, like, at 4pm after, you know, I'd finished working. And I was like, oh, I feel a bit naughty. And then I was like, no, I don't. This is great, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it, it is, it's purely about giving yourself permission to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, saying, Just you know. give it a go. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, because it's, it's definitely it's something I'm going to actually speak to my therapist about on tomorrow when I speak to her oh you have got you did book it yeah in. you know yeah, oh, yeah I've got it I've got it booked okay. in and I messaged her and I said look don't let me do less than like six weeks of of this because okay. like sometimes I'll drop in and I'll like brag about how well things are going and then I'll like dip out yeah, yeah. and then like uh, another couple of times like I've used better help who have like they sponsor the podcast and I've and I've like uh, obviously I have to keep testing out so it's not shit I don't mm. want to be sponsored by something yeah, yeah, that's yeah, shit yeah. so I keep like I, I've I've used them twice now um, for once for one month and once for two months and I think you have like a therapist that you connect with yeah like, of course yeah. and my first therapist I was super super fortunate that I just respect everything she says and really get on with her mm. Mm. Um, absolutely and then, and it adds a really good point like you're not necessarily going to find someone that you connect with straight away yeah you, it, this is like it's such a kind of different type of relationship with yeah, it's therapists so unique, it's it? so unique like you you know like you have you know when you get to know someone you have like the kind of small talk at the beginning and then you go a little bit deeper like with therapy you fucking there's none of this small chat you go straight into the deep end right yeah and it's 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 quite scary and so yeah. you need to have you know you need to have that trust you need to like this person you need to feel safe with this person yeah and like that's I always say that to clients you know when they first meet me like if if I'm not the right fit for you, that's okay. We'll find someone else. Yeah. Because you have for this to work, you have yeah. to, you know, feel confident, feel 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 comfortable, and feel safe. Yeah. Um, How do you find it being a young therapist? Do you there know, you go. compliment there, <laughs> young. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. Fair enough. It was the thing that when I was training. Because uh, um, I was the youngest in the training by quite a long way. Actually, that's yeah. not entirely. Well, by like ten years, I think. And um, and I remember it was one thing that I was really insecure about because yeah. I thought that clients would think that I had anything to say for myself, or yeah, that yeah. you know, or that what does she and know? Like, well, let me tell <laughs> you something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and funny enough, I was actually like, and 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 I luckily my tutor she had she had qualified um, at the same age I did, and so that really helped me. But I think. You know, the first I, I did my placement in a bereavement um, in a bereavement agency where I was so I, when I was do, still training and I was getting my hours and and I had clients who were between forty and seventy and I remember thinking what what the hell are they gonna you know think about me but that was just complete it never was an issue it never yeah. is an issue because no. people just you know they don't care about how old you are no. if, if you know you provide a safe space for them and and you know what, relatively what you're talking about then I think it's okay but I you know I, I'm very fortunate because I think it's it's all about experience as much experience as I can get and um you know working with I'm so fortunate to work with you know different people from different countries um different backgrounds and it just you know I'm so glad that I did it when I did it yeah. But I, but I only the only reason I got there was because I had this kind of at twenty two I had this kind of, you know, stop moment where I had to yeah. look at my life and think, well, what do I want to do with it? Because it never really was fashion and PR. I just kind of fell into that because I fucked up on my exams and didn't go to university. So yeah. you know, um, but that's why I'm really glad that I did. You know, so if anyone is actually listening and thinking that you want a career change, like just go and do it. it doesn't it's never yeah. going to be. How long, never does, too how early long did today. it take? Four years. Yeah. Um, so full time. No. 
it wasn't full time so which meant which was good because I got I got other jobs in in yeah. like in the meantime um and you know I want to I will go on hopefully and do more training and yeah. um you know, there's always the, the good thing about my work is there's always stuff to learn yeah um and you have to right I have to do CPD um continued professional development and all this kind of stuff um, to keep on top of things because obviously yeah. things change all the time times change and um, different techniques are, are learned and whatever so I will hopefully in fact for sure go and kind of continue yeah training how um how does it take its toll on you emotionally like like being a therapist because like naturally more people tell me shit about their lives now than ever before yeah. because I'm honest about it so people feel safe to do so I'm so happy with that, with like my friends and my family and like people I consider close. But sometimes people I don't know will dump something on me that I'm like, hey, like, mm. I don't know you. I, I can't be ready for that. Like, this is this is why you should go and speak to a therapist. You can't just dump this on a stranger on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a like a passive kind of trauma comes in. Absolutely. It. So like, do, do you just have to Are you on a continuous sort of like you go to therapy? So, yeah. So I, I have my own therapy and I also have my own. Uh, I have supervision. Yeah. Um, which every therapist has to have. And it's basically like, a, you know, um, it's, it's kind of my support. Yeah. Having said that, you know, I can forget that, of course, I'm going to take things on. Yeah. Um, and I can forget that if I don't take I'm rubbish <laughs> my partner will tell you I hate taking holiday I hate taking not like going on holiday but as in I hate taking a break like yeah. I just I you know I, I like to work six days a week and and ooh, I like to work six days a week and um for no reason I mean I love it but also because I just you know I don't really I mean I'm not well I do know I'm not very good at taking time off for myself yeah and if I th- unfortunately if I don't I'm hit with you know a complete overwhelm that builds up and builds up and builds up and then whacks me over the head yeah so I have to be careful of that and I have to be aware of that and you know it's it's sometimes you know I, I say you know oh well can I maybe I'll just do one one client a day and, and my yeah. partner will say no but even that is not a break like you're still no. um so I it, it's it's making sure that I also look after myself doing the things that nourish me doing the things that you know like for example if I haven't had a cry in a few weeks like I I will genuinely put on a film or a music that will make me cry because for me that's like such a release yeah um and I mean to be fair I cry so much anyway (laughs) it's not really a problem um but I yeah it does if I'm not careful and I don't look after myself absolutely like I feel it yeah um but you do develop a thicker skin and I do develop like a wall not a wall well I guess it is kind of like a wall that kind of I'm able to put up and take down so that things don't but having said that when when I am personally struggling or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling tired that wall is is sort of pierced much easily more easily and and I have to be aware of that and just then take action whatever that whatever that is yeah yeah for sure it's so fascinating Oh. <laughs> I love I love being able to sit down with like an actual therapist and like talk to them because it's just questions that I've just wanted to know the answers to yeah. for so long. But it's, yeah, like sometimes I feel like I'll I'll like 
pay my £90 to my therapist and, and be just like, can <laughs> I just ask you some questions? She today? won't tell you. She no. won't tell you because she's not really allowed to tell I you. I know, I know. Honestly, I think like one time she told me she was like leaving the NHS to go private. She's like, I'm not meant to say that. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I know, boundaries. It's all yeah. about boundaries. Um, but yeah, it's... So, so like now, like we've had this conversation and now like we know each other. I couldn't be your client, could I? That would no. be unethical. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be allowed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you know too much. Well, yeah, and also it's... it's I, as I said, you know, with addiction therapy, actually it's very... It's quite important part of the process to self-disclose. Yeah. So I will, you know... And, and it's not really a secret, you know. I would tell really any of my clients that I have suffered, yeah. you know, um, or that I struggle, have struggled with addiction. Um, but... The majority of the time, you know, a lot of the time, you know, clients will say, how are you? And I'll say, no, no, this is this isn't about me. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it's purely because they don't really want to talk about themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. I do that. All um, the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's 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 funny. I mean, sometimes, though, don't get me wrong. Like, I sometimes think to myself, how do I do this? Right. How mm. like what the hell? Like, because, you know, I struggle. I'm human. And, yeah. you know, but it's. I guess I just, I'm able to kind of switch on and off. Yeah. Um, but that takes practice and time. Like I've now been doing it for three years, I think, and two years. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's really admirable. I think it's such a cool thing to do. Oh, and I think, so. I think to be, to even want to do it in the first place is, is really cool. Because even wanting to go to therapy is really hard. Yeah, God, and yeah. Like I was saying like with my girlfriend the other day, it was about a month ago and she was like, oh, I, I, I want to like look at therapists. And I was like, cool. You're not even going to do that for like two weeks. Yeah. And I was like, no, I just want to let you know that, that doesn't matter. Mm. Like you make the decision that you want to go, you think about it, you put it off for a couple of weeks and then you look at like the counselor's directory or you, you go to a website that provides therapy and you, you have a look and then, and then you don't. Yeah. And then maybe a week later you're like email one. Or type out the email, <laughs> yeah. then you won't send it. And then <laughs> finally, maybe like five, six weeks, even six months down the line, you actually make that first step. It's and scary. Then, it's scary. And you have that first session, yeah. and you're like, oh, that was tough, but I feel a lot lighter now. Yeah. It's such a brave thing to do. Mm. Such a brave thing to do. So courageous. Um, because you're a complete random stranger. Yeah. That you just sort of suddenly trust with all your stuff and, you know, you don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know how you're going to think afterwards. But I guess even the times that I don't want to go to therapy, I'm always glad that I did. Yeah. Right? It's like... It's like with anything you exactly, don't want to do that's good for you. Like, exactly. I bet you have that with yoga. Like, all the time. All the time. I have it with jiu-jitsu. I love jiu-jitsu. And sometimes I'm on the bus there and I'm like, I don't even want to go. And then I leave and I've had such a good time. I'm like, I wish I could just <laughs> remember that. Every time that I, um, I start it off. That's actually something I really... Um, my friend Jonah yeah, really yeah, yeah. kept going on and on. That's that how I, I met her. That, oh, it's through jiu-jitsu, yeah. I know, I really want to try. I really want to try. I'm scared, to be yeah. honest. I'm terrified. I'm like, I'm scared of not being strong enough. I'm scared of, you know, being hurt. So it's all these things which well, basically means... after you so well because jiu-jitsu is like a community like no other. Like I just made um, my flatmate go. Oh, really? Go. I encouraged yeah. him to go for a while and spoke about it and tried to like, lead by example, but essentially made him go. And he loved it. He was like, everyone was so nice to me, mate. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what it's like. He was like, even though it hurt, it didn't actually hurt. Yeah. And they were, they were all really concerned. Like, it's such a caring community because you're all there to learn to kill each other. But but in a nice way. In a yeah. really, really <laughs> in nice way. In a loving way. way. Yeah, yeah. So you should definitely... I'm going to definitely and do that. And meditate <laughs> yeah. and journaling. It's the things that I try and get everyone to do. 
Amazing. Right, there's uh, some questions oh, before yes. we wrap up. I got people on Instagram to ask, so let's have a look to see what people said. Someone said, what type of life issues can you go to therapy for? I hope that's a quick answer. What type of what? What type of life issues can you use therapy for? Well. Anything? Anything. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you 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 don't need to have issues to do therapy, actually. Yeah. Like, you, you it, it, it can be... This is the thing, like sometimes when I have um, friends of mine who say, yeah, but everything's fine at the moment. I don't need to go to therapy. I'm like, like well, that's, that's actually when you, the, when you should go yeah. because there's always then deeper work rather than the kind of present issue. Yeah. There's always deeper stuff that you can talk about or like, you know, so yeah, yeah the answer is there's no specific issue or thing. Okay. Um, has anything ever shocked you? Um, you know, it's... It's obviously like I, there are things that I find incredibly sad. Yeah. Um, but I luckily have the training that it's it's not necessarily about being shocked. Yeah. Um, you, you know what's out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not, you know, um, I, I, th- there is a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of sadness out there. There's yeah. a lot of trauma out there. Um, and it's just not being naive to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah so, for sure. Yeah. The world's a fucked up place. Yeah, it's sad. There's so much sadness and I, oh God, I hate it so much. Yeah. I just want everyone to be happy. You can't fix it. <laughs> I know, I can't <laughs> fix it. It's what my supervisor says. All of all of the other questions are pretty much been answered, apart from one. It said, a therapist told me to Google books on a certain topic I wanted to focus on during a session. That's it. No real probing. And they said they feel like they've wasted their money. So the therapist just said google some books on it oh, i feel like maybe they're not being honest about their experience there yeah i mean the therapist will only obviously say or, or give what they've got to work with yeah. um but you know having said that if you know the therapist isn't right then go and try and find another one yeah right like there there are different types of as i said there's different types of approaches there's different types of therapists um so make sure that you go and do your research when it comes to therapy as well yeah um because there's all different types and yeah things and one one more question for me and then and then we'll wrap this up is how would you distinguish the feeling between the discomfort of just being sat in front of a therapist and confusing that with that you that therapist isn't right for you how many sessions would you give that i think my sort of instant reaction is that you know pretty quickly yeah. whether or not you're going to be able, th- whether or not you like this person, whether or not you're going to be able to trust them. Um, obviously, there is a discomfort of being there, but I also think it is quite important that the therapist helps to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, Like, you know... It, it it also depends what works for you. Like some people want, want a therapist who's really cold and, and kind of dis, sort of distanced from you. Yeah. I don't work like that. Like I want my client to feel safe with me. Yeah. Um, not that it's, you know, obviously entirely my responsibility to make them feel safe, but it is, I would say that, you know, you know within a first few sessions yeah. whether or not, you know pretty quickly, basically, whether or not the therapist is right for you. Yeah. Um, b- 
but there's a difference, right? If you then go, oh, well, therapy's not for me because yeah. you had one therapist that didn't quite work for you. So that then... if you, not all therapists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you then make a decision, oh, well, then I've tried therapy once and it didn't work for me. Well, that's your stuff, mm. right? That's you then not being willing to change. Yeah. Also, bear in mind that there is a difference between if the therapist says something to you that, that you don't like, Yeah. that is your stuff stuff right that that, that's probably quite likely that yeah that will come up at some point that will come up at some point um but I encourage if that happens I would say I would encourage you to express that like I would encourage you to say what you just said really made me feel uncomfortable um because otherwise the therapist can't read your mind yeah yeah right mind reader that was one of my no one's a mind reader so if if the therapist said something to you that I always say this if I say something that you don't agree with or that doesn't sit right with you please tell me because you know you know you way better than I know you Mm. um and I you know I'm not the sort of be all and end all like I'm not here to tell you what is right and what's wrong so if you know but then but you know if you are able to then say oh I didn't like that wasn't right or when you said that it made me feel like this it gives you the opportunity to figure out well why was it uncomfortable why did it feel um unpleasant why did it trigger you perhaps you know um so it's again it's all about the communication but I get it going to therapy is really difficult and then saying to a stranger well when you said that it really pissed me off you know but we're used to it like we we actually like that like it's it's good for us to work with the kind of we need to know how you feel basically yeah yeah, for sure um and that's just good for like practicing saying how you feel to people absolutely it's like triggering absolutely absolutely and the best person to say to is your therapist in a sort of safe enclosed confidential space so that's the you know exactly oh definitely well I've had such a good time. Oh, Ed, no, me too. Thank you so much for being my first me guest too. in here. This has been unreal. Oh. I can't wait. To, I'm going to listen back to it later. <laughs> oh, and I hate listening back to my voice. I know I can't. <laughs> I can't listen to my own voice. Um, I've had the. I've honestly had the best time. Some really like thought provoking questions as well from you and like um, really honest discussion. So thank yeah, you. Thank absolutely. you for having me. Where can everyone find you? So yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm on Instagram at therapized, um, and then if you want to check out my website, it's www.talitafosh, which is my full name. dot com. T a l i t h a. Just to make sure that everyone yeah. got that. I'll write it down. Don't <laughs> Thank worry. You. And that is on on your website. Like, what is what is on there? What, like um, it's just a little bit about me, um, my kind of my approaches, and then obviously, if you want to to uh, contact me in terms of um, having therapy. Um, and yeah, my email and stuff is on yeah. there. Sweet. All right. Perfect. Well, that is great. Thank I will you. stop recording now. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Hopefully, you got as much out of it as I did when I had the conversation. As always, all the information for the guest tally will be in the description of the episode. And if you need anything from me, specifically submitting something to the book doctor please send an email to a need to read dot podcast at gmail.com and of course if that conversation has twisted your arm and you're looking at going to therapy then please head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and that'll get you 10% off your first month it's honestly one of the best decisions you'll ever make and I know I now get paid to say that but I was saying that before I got paid so whether you go to BetterHelp or whether you go to a therapist that you can see face-to-face in person in your local area, the important thing is that at some point you go. That is it from me. You're all the best. 
Love you, bye.